it as you would normally do so, working and getting the main points of the passage. Does anybody know the main point of John 4? Anybody know the main point of this passage with the woman? Yes, it's that. It's that salvation comes from Jesus, that he is the center of the gravity of scriptures. It's Christological. But we're approaching this, we're going to ignore the main point. Okay? And we're approaching this thematically. So what does that mean? It means we've got a theme in mind, and our theme, if you got the text yesterday, is a gospel-shaped community, or something like that. Was that my, was that my text? Gospel-shaped communities. So we're coming at it thematically. It's not a wrong way of handling scripture. It's, it's not the way we'd handle it all of the time, but we're approaching the theme. So we're coming with a theme. Our theme is, what does a gospel-shaped community look like? So therefore, as we work through this passage, we'll pick up elements of the passage that, that suit our theme. So we're going to miss out many of the verses and much of the main theme, and we're going to focus on this particular theme that's within this passage, and this theme of what a gospel-shaped community. Okay, what's the one word um, alternative for a gospel-shaped community? What is a gospel-shaped community? Church. church. We want to see what real church should look like. And it's a perfect, perfect example of that in this passage with this woman. You're wondering, is there? We're going to look at it together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for bringing it to us, giving it to us as we explore it together, particularly with under this heading of this new series that we're looking at together. As we explore your word together, open it up to us, we pray. Speak to us through it. Transform us, shape us, make us a gospel-shaped community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me start with something that you may be familiar with. The Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I don't know if you follow the news. Back in the UK, we are more interested in international news and local news, it seems. Whereas it seems the reverse here. <laughs> okay? So if you know nothing about this, there's a big conflict going on between Arabs and Jews over the land. Look, it goes back to it goes back a long way, but particularly just before the First World War. I won't give you all the details now. But can you imagine with all that conflict in that scenario, an Arab and a Jew worshipping together? Can anybody imagine that? It'll never happen. Yeah. It probably never will, Brent. But that's what's happening in John 4. That's exactly what's going to take place in this chapter. Not an Arab and a Jew, but a Jew and a Samaritan. Okay, I'm going to tell you more about them in a little while. We, I think we recently had a sermon on John 4. Okay, uh, so you may remember some of the history. We're going to have a Jew and a Samaritan. Arch enemies worship together. It's brilliant. Actually, it's beautiful. It's the gospel. It's, it's what the gospel does. So come with me. We're under our heading, a gospel-shaped community maybe three or four, maybe five of the messages uh, with this in the weeks ahead. So here's our first heading, our only heading for the chapter. Jesus alone chooses the members of his gospel community. Jesus alone chooses the members of his gospel community. Could someone just get me a drink, please? The usual, Okay. Uh, the round's on you, Graham, okay? Great. Okay. Jesus alone chooses the members of his gospel community. Well, I'm going to pick up a verse 4. And like I said, we'll just select verses that fit with our theme as we're doing this thematic study. So verse 4, now he had to, Jesus 
had to go through Samaria. Okay, it's, it's ambiguous at best. It's not quite clear why, okay, but there's several possibilities. He's, he's possibly where John was baptizing, Anon, okay? He wants to get away from the Pharisees because they're taking an unhealthy interest in him. Thank you, Gloria. So he wants to go back up north, okay? Now, he, he didn't have to go through Samaria. I think I've got a map here. See, there were several ways you could get up north. There was the easiest way, the most direct way, okay, if you're down the south to get up to the north, which was through Samaritan territory. But it wasn't desirable because who lives there? Samaritans, okay? And so Jews would, no, no joke, take the longer, more arduous, international route, it seems, to avoid contact, or the other C word, to avoid conflict or, you said it, didn't you? Yeah, conflict, confrontation, contamination, okay? Conflict or contamination. They had to avoid going through Samaria. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. It may well just mean, okay, that, that it was the quickest way because he was trying to avoid the Pharisees. It may mean, I think this is what's really going on here. Okay, two things that's really going on here. Jesus had to go through Samaria because, the first one's obvious, you know it. The second one, not so obvious. He had to go through Samaria because... Because he wants to minister to this woman. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Okay. It wasn't just because he's on the run. It's because he wants to minister to this woman. But there's a second one. This is a harder one. You get a chocolate for this. Why else did he have to go through Samaria? I'll give you a clue. He's training 12 disciples, isn't he? Well, 11. He had to go through Samaria, why? To teach them what? Yes, something more? Yes! He, this is a training exercise for his disciples in? Yes! Ministry to those you... Bigger word, stronger word. Hate! This is a training exercise in doing ministry to people you despise and hate. What do you think their sentiments would be when Jesus says, we're going to go through Samaria? What do you think they would have been saying to him? Jesus, that's not the way we go up north. He's a bit raw, isn't he? He doesn't understand culture, does he? Jesus, that's not the way we go up north, okay? But no. Jesus had to go. And so he takes them on this journey. He had to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's quite a journey they've been on already. Okay, 40 miles. But in gobbledygook, that's, that's what, in Ks, that's about what, what, 70K? Okay, yeah, something like that. It's about 70K. It's a day and a half journey. So they've already been traveling a day and a half, okay? It's the second day of his journey. It's, it's the sixth hour. What time is that? Huh? Yes, it's noon, okay? It's 12 o'clock. Now, uh, how warm is it at 12 o'clock in, in a hot country? <laughs> okay, this is the hottest part of the day. It's little wonder that Jesus is tired. He's been traveling a day and a half. And we have to remember, as much as he was God, Philippians 2, he didn't grasp at the benefits of his divinity. It seems that he rarely used the benefits of his divinity. So he's, he's feeling what you felt, what you would feel if you traveled an hour and a half in a very hot climate. Well, you know what that's like. You live in a hot country. Okay, right. So he's feeling that. So he's resting. He's, he's by this well. It's, 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 it's still there, the well. I think I've got a picture. It's seven feet wide. Okay, 100 feet deep. 
wells in that country, when you bore this big hole in the ground, what would you have to put around it so nothing fell in it? Yeah, wall. So you put a wall around it. We put out a stone wall. Jesus is sitting on that wall. Okay, perfect place to sit. Perched there, having a rest. And then we're told in verse 8 and 9, which is what's happening. His disciples have gone into the town to buy food. And then we're given this first clue about this hatred. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's what you call a politically correct statement. You know, I thought Jews don't associate. Jews hate Samaritans. Okay, that's the real scenario. Okay, so the disciples have gone into town to buy a friend. Look, I don't want to give you too much history. I'm sure you heard some when Roger was preaching. But just briefly, look, 931, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, does the most stupid thing. If you've been reading the Bible Marathon, it came up in the Marathon this week. Okay, he, he, he treats the people unfairly as a consequence of that. What happens to the kingdom? Split. Ten tribes in the north, the two in the south. The northern tribes are by and large the more ungodly. Eventually they're conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians take all the people away. They never return. They leave a few people in the land. The few that are left are then to them are added Assyrians. They start intermarrying with these people left in the northern kingdom. You've now got hybrid half-caste people. If you've now got half-caste people, what's happened? What kind of religions have you now got? Hybrid religions. Synchristic religions. So these are, these are no longer bona fide, authentic Jews. That's why the southerners hate them. See, they too were exiled, come back. But never the twain. So when they started rebuilding a temple, the southern kingdom, they wouldn't allow the northern kingdom to help because they are no longer regarded as authentic Jews. You can imagine what, how that would feel. You know, you're rebuilding the worship center. We're rebuilding Living Word Church. But Lorraine can't help because she's married him. Right? Can you can see what kind of, and it goes on and on. And I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, pages of pages of it. The, the northerners build their own temple. The Jews destroy it. And so the fighting continues. So it's in amongst all of that, okay, that we come into this situation. His disciples are gone into the town to buy food. I guess you're asking, what should you be asking? If there's all this conflict, what are they doing? Buying food. Okay? We know what it's like. We won't eat with you. Okay? But we don't mind buying food if we're hungry. It's arrogance, isn't it? They buy food because they want to. I think it's also a measure of that is something different to having hospitality, isn't there? And buying something from somebody. You know, you know, you can imagine, can't you, buying something of someone you hate? Because, you know, you just want the product. But you wouldn't have dinner with him, would you? See, and so they can go there and get this food. Not only that, dried food in particular, and that was quite common back then, was thought to be less, less polluted by transaction. So they could buy this and be, you know, not contaminated. Not only that, how many of them go into town? Now, have you ever, how many people does it take to change a light bulb? I mean, look, they go to buy food, right? What would you do if there's 13 of you and you need food from the town? What would you do? How many would go and how many would stay? Exactly. Why do you think 12 are going? Yes. This is enemy territory. Okay. The reason all 12 are going is because this could get really messy. Can you see the point? Why don't they take Jesus? And don't say it's because he's tired. They're all tired. Why don't they take Jesus? It is possibly that. It is something more sinister. No, no, he may not have wanted to go. Why didn't they encourage him to go? Exactly. They didn't want him to see how ugly of men they can be. You see, because when they were Jesus, like, how you doing, Jesus? Fancy a copper? Okay? They get his nice face. 
when they were the Samaritans. What do you, what, what do you think this transaction is going to look like? Yeah. Okay, how much? Okay, give it to me. Can you see? They don't want Jesus to see. Could it be Jesus moving stones to meet the lady? Oh, he certainly wanted that people. but he could arrange that later. He could, meaning he controls time, couldn't he? So he could have, but that's certainly an aspect. That's a good point. I'm going to come to that. It's a valid point. Thank you. So he had to meet this woman, A, but certainly B, they didn't want him to watch them in an ugly scenario. So he lets them go, okay? They get there by themselves. Where are we? Jake as well was there. What time? Peter just said the time. What time is it? Midday. Midday. Okay. Midday, the hottest time of the day. So now they leave him, okay? So they leave him because they don't want him to have any what with who? With the enemy, okay? So, so what's their thinking? They don't want to take him to the tanks. They don't want to see the ugliness. They don't want him to... Because look, if they take him along, what's he likely to do to the enemy? Yeah! Heal them! So they want to leave him in the safest place where there's no possible chance of any encounter with anybody. Because who, the, who on earth is going to come out at midday to a well? Who? Yeah, if there's one. But assumingly, nobody. Okay, they leave him in the safest possible location where there's no possible chance that he's going to meet one of them and do something good to them. Okay, he's safe here. It's hot. And so they leave him there in the town. But, surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Pete's already said it. Who's got two parties here? Who's the only surprised party here? The woman. The woman. Because Jesus has set this up. Jesus has set this up. He's going to be there because he's waiting for her. So she's there. So I think Peter already alluded to it. Why? Why on earth would she come at such an ungodly hour of the day to do such an arduous task? I think Peter said it. Yeah, she doesn't want to mix with the other women. Or she's embarrassed. She's an outcast, yeah. So, so all that stuff, it's all right. We don't know that yet. All we know is there's something wrong between her and her people, community. Okay, we're going to get all that. It's, it's coming up. Okay, so at this juncture, at least, this woman, it's, obvious, it's the first clue, isn't it, that not only is this group of people social outcasts, that's how the Jews saw them, but amongst a group of social outcasts, you've got this one particular outcast. Can you see? Okay, it's like the worst of the worst. Okay, and Jesus has set up a meeting, not just with a random outcast, but he set up a meeting with the worst of the worst. Can you see? Uh, uh, can you see what Jesus is doing? It's like pick the worst member of Living Word Church, Lee, okay? <laughs> and then, and then you know, have a meeting with him. He's like, pick the worst one. Jesus selects the worst member of the worst community in the eyes of a Jew. Okay, not only is she the worst is because she's obviously an outcast or something, but this is the worst also because... He, she is a woman. Yeah. That and a woman. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now listen to this. Jesus said to her. So she's obviously thinking. I mean, what's she thinking? What is she? She's come to draw water because she knows it's guaranteed. 
Then no one's going to be there. So what's she thinking? Goodness sake, yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Okay, okay. But here's, it's a bad situation for her, okay? But here's where it gets worse. Jesus said to her, what's he doing? He's, he's initiating dialogue, conversation. Okay, bizarre. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? This is astonishingly, astonishingly catastrophic. First of all, there's a stranger. Now, it's quite possible she may know he's a foreigner because it's possible that the video pointed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if at first she knew he was a foreigner because possibly he was dressed differently. But certainly, if, she certainly knew he was a foreigner because... Because of that? Because of that? Now, if something, now, she knew he was a foreigner because this is a small village. And she knew all the men of the village. This is the point. It's obvious he's a foreigner. Because if there's a guy in that village, she may have known him. Okay? So he's a foreigner. But when he speaks, even if his clothes didn't give him away, when he speaks, what does she pick up? The accent. The accent. When I speak, it's obvious I'm an Aussie. You see? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And so, so she looks, she, she picks it up. Here's what a commentator says He is male. This is all wrong because he's male, he's single, he's religious, and he's Jewish. Can you see it's all wrong? Clearly defined social boundaries ought to have kept him. It's, 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 we've got a slide. Ought to have kept him. The next one, please. From engaging. And the next one. Sorry, I missed out an illustration. Thank you. And the next one. So clearly defined social boundaries ought to keep him from speaking with the woman. But he doesn't. In fact, the Pharisees, whom he was running away from, remember? Fleeing from? Had the law. Next slide. Listen to this. They had a ruling. This is absolutely true. It's unbelievable. Excuse me, women. women. Look, one does not speak with a woman in the street, nor even with his own wife. The guys here are thinking, that, sound, that sounds like peaceful. Okay. <laughs> not even with his wife, and certainly not with another woman because of gossip. Now, an ordinary guy doesn't do that, but a rabbi? Not at all. Okay, this is way out of order. And so Jesus, can you see what he's doing? He's making his intentions clear. What's his intention? He's making it clear. He initiates a conversation, not her. What's, he's making his intentions clear. What does he want? What's his intention? He wants to talk. Yeah, he wants to talk. Can you see how wonderful that is? He wants to talk. In a scenario when you would not have been spoken to. In fact, what, what, what should Jesus have done the minute she approached the well? He should have gone. But not only does he remain seated, he starts a conversation. He wants to talk. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And so she responds in, in the... He's failed several times over, to keep up with social protocols, okay? But she won't. She knows exactly the code of conduct in this scenario. And listen to her. You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Look, it's, look I think, look, hello. Can't you see? Okay, dress, Samaritan, smelly, whatever. Can you see? Yeah, I think she's reminding him. Can you see? Look, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? I think, I think she's disgusted, or possibly not disgusted, taken back. Look, you're a, Samar you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you speaking to me? You guys don't speak to us. You guys flee the other way whenever we come near. What's going on here? I want you to consider, consider the scenario for a moment here. Look, it's nothing like ours. Jesus is doing what? He asks her for a drink. 
Okay, now that doesn't seem anything special, does it? I mean, you know, so what is asking her for a drink? Uh, but I want you to imagine, well, leave the well picked up. Okay, this is first century, this is a well. This woman has gone to the well with what? To do what? Draw water, most probably. She, she's poor, almost certainly. Okay, okay. So, how many water vessels do you think she has? 25? No, one. Okay, one. She takes it along with her. Okay. Now, so this is going to help her draw water. She's going to take it back. What would be on top of that water vessel? A cup. What was that cup for? Is that, is it bifunctional. Two purposes. To drink out of and to? Yeah, to drink from and to? Seal it. Okay. How many cups do you think she has? One. Okay. How often do you think she washes that cup after she's drunk out of it? None. So she has been drinking ugly, disgusting, Samaritan lips. What are you looking at me for? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Have touched this thing. Do you understand? Can you see now? When Jesus says, will you give me a drink? What's he saying? He's saying. No. Probably not. We don't know what size she drank out of saying I'm prepared to let my clean lips come in contact with your disgusting ones that's what he's saying it's a massive massive gesture I'm prepared to let that part of the cup that's touched your disgusting lips Touch mine. This was going to be contamination. It was disgusting. But Jesus is saying that to the woman. Hey, I want to talk to you. I want to get close to you. Back in, back in Wales, the original one, when I used to preach, when I used to do the preaching circuit at Bible College, I ran all the local North uh, South Walian churches. I used to go from church to church every Sunday. It was great in those days because I only needed one sermon. <laughs> Seriously, I had three sermons and for my entire Bible college time, I preached those sermons in about 50 different churches in South Wales. It was great. You know, and Naomi could preach them off by heart. <laughs> right. And so I go from church to church. I'm at this one church once. We're sitting there and it's communion. Okay. And they get out the dreaded chalice. And like, I'm sitting near the front, and I'm the visitor. So who do you think they'd give it to first? No! So it goes the other way. And I'm thinking, no, this is the 21st century. We don't do this anymore. Okay, so this is doing its round, uh, and the lady next to me didn't look quite right. <laughs> and, and so she has it, and I'm like... And then passes it to me, and I look in the cup, and guess what's in there? There's bread floating around. And I'm like, just pretend drink. You know, just pretend. You know, nobody saw me. Seriously, this wasn't a nice situation. I mean, I didn't want to drink from it, okay? Jesus, when he says, will you give me a drink? wants his lips to touch where hairs have you see you see this is a this is a request for this woman to draw near to him you see his lips can never be contaminated that's the point can you see rather whatever his lips touch becomes purified it's never the reverse with jesus you see this is the guy who 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 what does he do when he sees dirty people he reaches out and touches them and here he is can you see his point he's reaching out to her he's he wants to get close here's a woman we're going to see in a minute who's been rejected over and over and over again What's Jesus saying by the fact that he wants to drink from her cup? What's he saying to her? 
You can say, but even more than that, just on the natural level. Yeah, he wants to get close. He, he's, not, he doesn't want, he's not being repelled by her. He's rather being drawn by her. Pray for her. It's the most wonderful gesture he could have made. He's like saying, look, hey, I know nobody else wants you. I want you. I want to get close to you. I don't mind touching you. I'm not afraid of catching something. Hey, I'm different. Can you see what he's doing? He's homing in on the very area of her life where she's most wounded. Can you see that? So verse 16, he told her, and so he wants to take the conversation deeper. Go, call your husband and come back. She in verse 18, and verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. And then, then he says this to her, verse 18, the fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Can you see what Jesus is doing here? He wants to enter into a relationship with this woman. But what's he doing? What's, what, how, does, how do relationships with Jesus always work? What's he doing here? Hmm. He wants you to come... In trust and transparency. Okay? We, we don't leave some of the secrets behind. When we come to Jesus, you come open-handed. Okay? Laying it all. Baggage and all. Sin and all. Nothing can be left behind. Jesus has to deal with everything. When you have an encounter with Jesus, there can't be any secret sins that we hold back. And so Jesus is he's, he's drawing this out of her. Can you see? Because she's got to lay it out. All of it. He wants to know everything. Every man. And so he's drawing out of her the, the reality of her situation. Okay. And we discover what? She has had five men. And now he's with the sixth. Slot. Whore. It's obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely obvious. She's a whore, isn't it? Is it? Is it? It's not. Who made you judge? <laughs> Sitting there in your comfy zone. We don't know anything about any of those scenarios. Who knows what happened with, with number two? Who knows, right? So you're not in any position to judge that woman. Can you see the point? Look, for a start, the Greek for husband is an heir. It has two functions. It operates both as the word for man, male, and the word for husband. So we're not even sure, okay, if these are husbands or partners. But take it, she's a five husbands, okay? In a society when a woman didn't traditionally divorce the man, it meant that the men had divorced her. Okay, can you see it already changing the complexion? No, we're always going to get to that, but we'll get there. Five men could have died. Seriously. You don't know if that's the case, do you? you say they haven't died. They have, it could have been guy after guy after guy using her for sex. And when they had the fill, and she was of no more use to them, got rid of her, moved them to the neck. We don't know, do you? So we don't know what's going on here. We don't even know, I mean, it's complex. We don't even know the guy she's with. Is that her husband? Is he the husband of somebody else? It could mean that, you see, in the way he's phrased, and the guy you're now with is not your husband, meaning he's somebody else's. We don't know. Maybe, maybe she's so disillusioned with men and the abuse that she suffered at their hands five times over, that she's given up on marriage? Who knows? Maybe she just is a terrible person. 
we don't know. So I think, friends, when we read this situation, just like when we encounter somebody, I once met someone who had five marriages. Seriously. Came to my church, my first church. You see, we don't jump. Oh, we don't jump. How dare you jump to conclusions? You don't know the details of every one of those scenarios. You weren't in them. You don't know what you would have done. And so, so we don't judge when we encounter people in gospel work. Here's a woman for which we don't know much about other than there have been many men in her life. And notice how Jesus deals with her. It's wonderful. He's not judging her. Yeah, no doubt. Listen to how we, we're going to have a quote come up now. Listen to how he deals with her. While it is true that God hates divorce, and he does, while it is true that God hates divorce, Malachi 2.16, here we see God's incredible love toward one with multiple marriages or perhaps just affairs. The glory of God continues to be revealed as we see the scandalous graciousness of God. Jesus is talking with this woman because God loves her. He is looking for true worshippers, verse 23, those who will enter into life. Can you see, whatever the reality about why she's in this mess, Jesus treats her with tenderness and love and care. Can you see that? He isn't asking her this to embarrass her, He's asked, he asked that question so that he, she, could, she would come and just lay it out for him. He wants to do heart surgery, doesn't he? But in order for, it, for him to do real surgery, she's got to open up to him and tell him how it is. And hearing it, he doesn't come down hard on her. No, he's kind. He's gracious. But his thing, that's what I want to draw out. It's such a messy situation. Can you see that? It's really messy. You're wondering why Jesus got involved here. You ever been in that situation? You start a job, okay? You you kind of think it's going to get messy, and then you start, you think, goodness sake, why did I ever get into this? You know, you can't put the thing back together. You're looking and you think, Jesus, why have you got involved in this situation? I mean, just look how messy this is pastorally, okay? You've got to think about this pastorally. Okay, she may be a victim, we don't know, but, but this is a situation. Uh, okay, so when Jesus ministers to her, not only has he got to impart faith to her, he's got to sort out her problems. She's got to sort out, first thing he's got to do, he's got to sort out this guy. If this guy's already married, well, what's she got to do to him? Send him back. If he's not married... What's got a, what are her options? She's got two options. What are they? She can either marry him or she, she's got to leave. She can't send him away because she's in that culture. She's living where? In his house. Okay, so she's going to have to leave him. If she leaves him, what does, that, what does that mean for her? Homeless. Penniless. Can't she get a job at McDonald's? No, you didn't work. Can you see how complicated this is getting? So even if you can unravel and, and sort out her situation pastorally, what about her community? What's he got to do there? Because she may have changed, but you convinced this mob she's changed. And unless that mob can be convinced, she's never going to be integrated back into a society. So what's Jesus got to do with the community? He's got to retrain them. Can you see how messy this is? I mean, why on earth did he get involved? It's such a messy pastoral situation. It's not just conversion. You're not traveling evangelists have got the easiest lives. Okay, they preach the gospel, get a few converts, and move on. And then I and you have to pastor them. Why did Jesus get involved here? It's so, so messy. Let me tell you a story. This is true. This is a, a police commissioner from London, Sir David McNee. He was having a conversation with the author of, the, the previous author of, cell, uh, of uh, daily, what's that daily reading thing? Every Day with Jesus? Who, who was the first author? Selwyn Hughes. 
on a sermon of his that I listen to all the time. I've listened to probably 50 times. He uses this illustration. I got Ali to copyright it down for me. Thank you, Ali. Okay, so here it is. Okay. He gives this illustration about Sir David McNee, a police commissioner from London. He says, before they finish training new police recruits and send them on the line, they give them this test, okay, to see if they're suitable for the job. The test goes like this. Have a listen to this. You're on duty. You're on duty on a busy street when suddenly a gas main explodes, blowing a hole in the road 12 foot wide. A car swerves to avoid your hole and collides with a lamppost. As you go over to the car to see what's happening, to assist the driver, you recognize that the driver is the wife of a police inspector with a distinct smell of alcohol on her breath. At that moment, two dogs start fighting on the pavement nearby, and you notice that neither one of them is wearing a collar, which is illegal, okay? Neither one of them wearing a collar. If I can pick up the story. Okay, at that moment, because of the gas explosion, there's a woman who was due to have a baby suddenly goes into labor. Okay, her husband's crying out for someone to help. Okay, the telephone doesn't work and he wants your help to take him and his wife to the hospital. A man nearby who hears the cry of the man whose wife's in labor for a lift he is and volunteers to drive into the hospital, but you recognize the man as a wanted criminal. <laughs> and the question in that test is, how would you proceed to handle the situation? Well, one man said, I will slip out of my uniform and get lost in the crowd. <laughs> He failed the test. I was like, can Yeah, the more you do, the more complicated it gets. Yeah. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Jesus should have just slipped out of uniform when he saw this. Because he knows everything. He knew what this woman's situation is like. If he converts her, he's got years of pastoral work to fix her. He should have just slipped out of his uniform and walked away. But he doesn't. No, it's not Peter. And he doesn't. He stays the course. He, here's the thing you see. Did Jesus know about this woman's background? Yeah. Why is he there? Why is he sitting at this well? Because he wants to meet this woman. That particular woman. You see, he's there because he knows her complexities. And he still wants to be there. He knows how tough this will be pastorally and he still wants to be there. He knows she's the toughest possible case and he still wants to be there. And he wants to add the worst of the worst to his gospel community. That's why he's there. He wants it in there. Warts and all. Christian, here's what he tells us. Jesus specializes in complex cases, in messy people, in broken people, in hurting people, in desperate people, in rejected people, in abused people. In people no one else has time for, Jesus homes in on them. It's what he does. It's his style. He focuses on the marginalized. Look at Jesus' ministry and those people he heals. The leper. Social outcasts. Remember the woman who came and touched, I think there's a picture, who touched the hem of his clothes? What do we know about her? Yeah, unclean. She shouldn't be there. She'd been abused and used her whole life. She'd wasted all her money. She obviously had money, you see. And she went from doctor to doctor, and they knew they couldn't help her. But they took her money. Used until she's got nothing left. And now, no longer allowed to be within community. And yet she comes. And what does Jesus do? He allows her to touch his. You see, you were contaminated in that culture, not by physical touch of your body. You, were, you didn't need that. You were contaminated by mere the touching of someone, presence in some cases, George, and even the 
touching of your garment was enough. He's allowing her to touch his clothes. Can you see? Here is a man who goes out of his way to minister to the untouchables. Hey, here's the point. No matter how broken we are, no matter how many failed scenarios we've been in, no matter how much we've wasted of our lives looking for a fix, Jesus is always prepared to minister to the marginalized. It's not by chance that this woman is there. It's by design. He's come to heal her, to meet a need. And here's the lovely thing about it. He's come to be the man in her life. Can you see that? He's come to be the man in her life that she's been looking for her whole life. Do you see that? He's going to be the man that will never divorce her, never use her. In fact, he's going to be the only man she's ever met who only wants to give and give and give to this woman. And so finally, he reveals himself to her. He said to the woman, she, the woman said, I know when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And finally, Jesus does something for her that he hasn't done with a single Jew to date. Do you realize that? He does something exclusive for her. Listen to him. And Jesus declared, Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus does for this woman what he hasn't done for a single Jew. Feels himself. As verse 27, and then just then, he brings it to faith, declares he's the one, and just then, just then, his disciples return and were an understatement, a little surprised to find their master talking, not just with a Samaritan, but with a female Samaritan. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking to? Why didn't no one ask that? Well, possibly that. Something else. Why didn't they ask? We know that feeling. Why didn't they ask? Well, there's something about about Jesus. What what, what was Jesus like with them? Yeah, she could be. Because, yes, they dare not ask Jesus. But what are they thinking? They're thinking exactly what's here. No one asked, meaning that all, they're all thinking it. Okay, they're all thinking it. And so what do they do? What do they do to this woman? You can, you can miss this in this passage. What do they do to this woman? Someone tell me. They do something to this woman. They do that, but something else, something more severe. What do they do to this woman? Pardon? No, they haven't got there? Yes. They drive her away. You have to understand what's going on here. She doesn't, she's in mid-conversation with Jesus. He just revealed who he is to her. Okay, this isn't over, is it? It's mid-flow. She flees when they come. They drive her away. Do you get it? You can imagine, can't you? The 12 of them, the gangsters, turn up. There's Jesus. She's talking with Jesus. Can you imagine? You can see what's happening, can't you? They're there. The henchmen. And so what does she do? She goes. She goes. They drive it away. No one asked. Because they dare not. But what was Jesus doing speaking with a Samaritan dog? So here's the thing, friends. The story doesn't end there. They drive her away because they want nothing to do with her. They don't want Jesus to have anything to do with her. But this is a training exercise for them. This isn't just about the woman. This is a training exercise for them. It's about their prejudices. It's about their hatred. Jesus is not going to tolerate their schisms. He's not going to put up with this. Okay. He's not going to say, okay, let's just move on, guys. What's Jesus going to do? I need two people. What's Jesus going to do? What's he going to do? He's going to bang their heads together. 
You don't, you don't get away from this like this. No, he's not going to let them just get out of this like this. How does he bang their heads together? How does he do it? It's brilliant, all of this. How does he bang their heads together? Verse 39. Pardon? He takes, he gets them to deal with their whole village. It's brilliant. Look at this. Many of the Samaritans from that time believed in him because of the woman's testament. He told me everything I've ever done. Okay, shows something of her, of her willingness to accept that she needed help. So often people don't, can't receive the gospel, won't receive the gospel because they won't accept that they need help. He told me everything I did. He knows about me. He knows I need help. But this is the verse, verse 40. And when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. I love it. Do you? You can imagine, can't you? Peter, what? <laughs> okay, there they are in a Samaritan village. And here's the Samaritans. Hiya, Peter. How you doing, buddy? What's up? What's Peter thinking? Oh, goodness sake. John. What are we doing here, mate? Can't we get out? Isn't it an errand we've got to do back in town? Okay, you can imagine. Oh, here's my little boy, Jack. Would you like to hold Jack, Simon? Would you like to throw him in the air? You know, he loves visitors. Hey, and here's some fish. You guys hungry? You want to you you eat some food? Hey, let's do table fellowship. It's brilliant, isn't it? Jesus is saying, you hate Samaritans? You will not hate a Samaritan and belong to my community. I'm telling you straight. You will not hate a Samaritan and belong to my community. Because if someone's going to get out, you can go. Okay? This is dealing with the deepest, darkest, prejudices and hatred that we can imagine. Remember, 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 this goes back hundreds of years. And you know what it's like, those Chinese whispers? The further it goes, the more amplified it becomes. With, with cultural hatred like this, the further you are from the point of origin, the stronger it becomes. And so Jesus, for two days, is making Peter and John, okay, sit with eat with. Whose bed do you think they slept in? Look, you got visitors to, visitors to town. Which bed? You've only got one bed. What do you do to your visitors? You give them your bed in that culture. Whose bed do you think Peter's sleeping in? Whose dirty bed? Whose cup? Whose plate? It's brilliant. You see, here's the story. Here's the message for us. Jesus alone chooses the members of his gospel community. I want to round up with application now. Here's what we do with this story. This is the bit that, that's going to hurt. Okay? So just sit tight. Jesus alone chooses the members of of his gospel community. The message for us is simple. We don't get to choose who gets in and who gets out. Do we hear that? We don't get to choose. That is not the choice of any member of this church. We don't get to choose who become members of Living Word Church. However messy people are, However complex, whatever history we may have with them when they walk through our door, however much we may not be able to tolerate them, whatever we think of them, we don't get to choose who comes in. Do we understand that? You see, and just as he was in the role of the disciples, let me ask you, what did Jesus ask Peter Peter, is it okay if we go and do some evangelism with Samaritans, stay over in the village a couple of days, convert some? Did he ask him that? No, he didn't. It's none of his business who comes in. It's only Jesus' business. Friends, it's not our business 
who Jesus sends. You see, this church is not our club. Okay? It's not a golf society. If you're a member of a golf club, there's some ownership on that. This is not a golf club. No one here has ownership. This is not our club. It's Jesus's. There are no fringe benefits for getting in first. There's no hierarchy for positions held. There's no benefits for time served. The latest and newest person comes in as an equal to us. They come with the same bank balance that you and I have. You know, you know that parable that Jesus told? It deals with this precise subject, the parable of the workers. He goes out early in the morning, hires workers, he goes into the field, he goes out again, he goes out again. He goes out, what's the last time he goes out? One hour before sundown, okay? And so what are the ones that have been working all day long thinking? Yeah, well, before they get there, they're thinking, okay, okay well, when he's handing the money out, he pays the ones who did the least work first, the one denarii. What are the rest thinking? It's going to be good for me. Okay? Because I've been here for 11 hours. I've bore the brunt of the midday sun. I've brought in this much. Boy, is Jesus going to treat me well. The the, the hire. And he gets how much? Exactly the same. What's Jesus' point when when he gives that parable? What's his point? He chooses, and there are no benefits for how long you've been in, how much you've done, doesn't give you extra credit. I don't care how long we've been members of Living Word Church or Rivergate, there's no extra credit for belonging there. Not even for the minister. Not for anybody. Christian is not our club, it's exclusively for Jesus. He chooses who he adds and he chooses who takes away. Look, if there is any discerning to be done and if there's any filtering to be done, after all, we have to be aware that our enemy does what? In sheep's clothing? He comes as a wolf and she does. So, so look, it's not, it's not that the enemy doesn't come amongst the church, but when there's protecting to be done, whose role is it? Is Jesus is through? Through? Who are, his, who are his hands on deck? Which part of the church? The, the leadership of the church. Okay? If there's any protecting to be done, if there's any discerning to be done, if there's any sifting to be done, it's to be done by those who have been appointed by God as carers of the church. 1 Peter 5, thank you. 1 Peter 5, I think it's the next slide, please. Be shepherds of God's people, speaking to pastors, elders, okay? That is under your care. It is the pastor of the church with assistance of his leadership team who is responsible for safeguarding the church. That means it's not your job. Do you get that? It means it's not your job. There's a designated structure in churches that Jesus has set place and he has given the protection of the church. Yes, there has to be some sifting at times. Yes, we live in a world that's ugly and there have to be, but it's not your job. And I say that with all due respect. It is the job of the pastor and his team to care and watch over and safeguard the flock. If there's a danger to the sheep, we'll deal with it. If there's something we need to know, share it. And it stops there. Can you see the point? It stops there. The church can't have vitual anti-rule. What does that mean? The church can't operate with vitual anti-rule. What does that mean? Yes. It can't operate with members 
acting as police force or as gatekeepers for who comes in and who goes out. It is the sole responsibility of the leadership of that church. And look, friends, there may be people who walk through that door who we have a history with. Look, it's a small town. It's bound to happen. People will come in and you'll have a history with new visitors where there's been issues with, no doubt. What are you to do? What is the response? Someone walks through this door, you have a history with them. What is the response? You have to. You don't have an option, Pam. You're obliged. You're commanded. You're exemplified as this woman of the well. You have no option but to welcome them. It's not a negotiable. It's not a negotiable. Look, it's a sad, sad scenario and a contradiction of the gospel. Do we know what the gospel is? Somebody tell me, what is the gospel? What, did it, what two entities did it bring together? Someone tell me. What is the gospel? He brought God together with who? No, that's too, that's too weak. He brought God together with who? Sinners is weak. No, he's not strong enough. He brought God together with? Begins with E. Yes, enemies. Do we understand that? The gospel brought God together with enemies. If we are gospel shaped, it means, Graham, you have no right to refuse a welcome to someone walking through those doors. Do we see that? If they pose a danger, we'll deal with it. The leadership team, you have my word, will deal with it. But you have no right but to extend a gesture of welcome. Here's what Paul said to the two ladies of Philippi who were fighting, okay? Here's what he said to them. Look, one of you leave and the other way you stay. Is that what he said to them? In fact, this is what he said. The one who came in last can go first. Is that what he said to them? He didn't. Listen to this. I plead with Udaya and I plead with Sinktaki to be of the same mind. Uh, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended with at my side in the case of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers, those whose names are in the book of life. He wants them to do what? Reconcile and sort it out. This is a sad scenario and a contradiction of the gospel when two Christians cannot worship together. It's sub-Christian. Did you hear that? It's sub-Christian. Friends, we're praying for growth. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish. My time is up. Okay, let me just finish this illustration. We're praying for growth, aren't we? Who here wants the church to grow? We do, don't we? Okay, if you don't, let me ask you this question. So shall we just let them burn in hell? Shall we just let them burn in hell? So we want the church to grow, don't we? We all want the church to grow. Okay, not because we want big heads, because we want to rescue them from hell. Okay, we want to grow. God is going to send people through that door that we have history with. He is. He's going to send people through that door that have complex baggage. He's going to send people through the door whose lives are a mess. He's going to send people through the door who you don't want to touch with the barge pole. He's going to send people through the door who are going to take up your pastor's time and he's going to spend weeks and weeks and weeks just on them. You'll hardly see him. He'll hardly have time for his sermons, let alone prepare to go on holiday. God's going to send those people. One after another after another. What do we do with them when they come? What, do we, what should we do? Look, our pastor's already got five cases he's dealing with. He can't deal with the six. Especially before he goes away. What are we going to do? Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. 
Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. David Ray will reply, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Every person that walks through that door is a Jesus opportunity. Do you know how messy these people are? They're, they're hungry. Why don't I get a job? That means if you take him in, you've got to sort out his employment. Look, this one's a stranger. That means if you take him in, he could come with a lot of history. That's horrible. Uh, the other one is ill. He's sick. What might happen if you take him in? You might get ill yourself. And the last one is a prisoner. Goodness sake, that could be dangerous. If Jesus walked through that door with all his baggage, we would run to minister to him. Can I encourage you, Christian, that every soul that walks through those doors, for us to see them as an opportunity, for us to minister to Jesus. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Yes, because he was fleeing from the Pharisees. Yes, he wants to deal and integrate this woman into the community. But also because he wanted to train his disciples for ministry. If we're serious about gospel work and we're serious about growth and serious about reaching this community, we don't get to be gatekeepers. We are ministers. I want to leave you with this question. Who, who here wants to do real, authentic gospel ministry? Because as we've just said, seen, it will hurt. It will hurt. May God inspire us and lead us to be a gospel-shaped community and to be those who are magnets to our Adelaidean community. Amen. 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 Let's, let me pray. Lord, how we've considered weighty matters. But Lord, your word gives us the example of how we're to conduct ourselves. Help me. Help me, Lord. Ever before I ask of the congregation, help me to minister aright to every soul I encounter. Help us all. Amen.